You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Good morning. My name is Melissa Madzik. I'm married to that elder over there. Um, and I'll be reading from Matthew 10, 26 through 33. As you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. So, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, church, let's pray as we dig into this together. Father, we come to you in need as always. We want to hear from you, Lord. We want you to speak into our lives. We, as we look at this passage and we see Jesus talking about fear, we recognize not only fear's presence in our lives, but our need for you to free us from it. So would you do that today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Some of you guys know that I took the job here uh, to be the lead pastor uh, coming up on three years ago now, which is just insane to me, Uh, and it was the day before Governor Inslee's first stay-at-home order, right? And my first Sunday preaching here was Easter 2020 via video, which in case you're wondering, that is the weirdest way to begin uh, being a pastor at a church is, is via video, right? Um, and, and after several months of quarantine, my family and I finally moved to West Seattle, and so we're kind of planted here. And I started meeting with people, just kind of get to know people in the church, but also to to hopefully address some concerns that people were having about what was going on in Seattle in general, things that were going on at Trinity in specific as well. And and in a lot of those conversations, I remember hearing fear, a lot of fear. Uh, From the, the point of view from many of these wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ, they saw the world as kind of the sky is falling and... We either have to get out of Seattle or we have to stay and do something more drastic than what Trinity and and I were doing at that time. Now, we got to kind of remember going back to 2020. Do you guys want to go back to 2020 with me? No. Okay. (laughs) I didn't think so. But go back there anyway with me for just a minute. If you might remember... um, uh, (laughs) You might remember this, this thing that was happening where COVID restrictions provided a heightened sense of of fear and polarization for people. Anybody remember that? 
Okay. Uh, but there were fears that were beyond those that, that people were sharing with me as I was meeting with them. It wasn't just the COVID stuff. I mean, that was sort of, that amplified everything. But people were sharing things like fear around uh, Christians' loss of political power, fear around cultural shifts in the last, you know, decades, right, of, uh, from, from Christian morality to something else, uh, Fear around the fact that the percentage of Christians is dipping year over year over year, and now we're a minority. I don't know if you guys knew that. We're a minority in the United States. Amazing. And I was very concerned for these dear brothers and sisters as, as they were sharing these things. Um, I was seeking to care for their souls and, and answer their questions. But what I kind of came to in the end was that my convictions were different than theirs were. Not, not deeply, not, not in terms of faith, but I wasn't really surprised that the culture is in the state that it's in. I wasn't uh, surprised or worried that there are fewer Christians in America than there were before. I'm, I'm just as concerned, yes, absolutely concerned, but not afraid. And in fact, I remember having many conversations, I think even maybe with the elders at, at points in time where I, I'd said things like, I think that God is refining the church. And what happens when God refines the church is he does so in order for it to grow. He prunes the church in order for it to bear fruit. I remember saying things like, bring the persecution on, uh, which is, of course, easy for someone who's not being persecuted to say, right? Uh, but that's really the sentiment. That's my heart. I, that's something I truly believe. Why? Why would I believe that? Why would I, why would I say something like that? It's because nominal Christianity has kind of ruled the day in the U.S. for decades, if not more. And nominal Christianity is a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? I mean, when your religion was started by a guy who got crucified, it kind of gives you a feel for what to expect, right? And, and, and our faith thrives when it actually costs us something. We've seen that throughout church history. Why does it thrive when it costs us something? It, because our faith is holistic. It's not like Jesus is an add-on to my life, right? But he's Lord, and so everything has to be brought into alignment under his lordship, which is going to cost us something. And I love the way that D.A. Carson talks about this. He says, nominal Christianity is becoming obsolete. This is what I'm celebrating. Hallelujah. Nominal Christianity is becoming obsolete. It costs too much, and it has no real advantages. Instead of whining and feeling sorry for ourselves because the culture is becoming unrecognizable, Christians should align their vision with that of the most mature first century Christians. Stop living your life in fear and wear the cultural dissonance as a badge of honor. Can I get an amen? amen. What would happen if Christians stopped being afraid of losing power? Stop being afraid of, of persecution and started viewing it as a badge of honor to be hated for the sake of Jesus? That's the question I'm asking. And I think the answer is, the kingdom of heaven would come. 
The kingdom of heaven would come. And, and of course, the biggest barrier to this happening is fear itself, right? The biggest barrier to the kingdom of heaven advancing on earth is fear. And Jesus deals with what is at the very root of our fears. What, what does he tell us frees us from fear? What does he tell us? Contrary to popular belief, the thing that he tells us frees us from fear is fear. Fear frees you from fear. And what I mean by that is one particular kind of fear. When you fear God, there's nothing left to fear. And this this command, have no fear, it's the most common command in all of Scripture. And Jesus uses it three times in this passage that we've just heard read. And he doesn't only command us, though, not to fear. He's so gracious that he gives us three reasons why we shouldn't. He tells us that God sees all, that God is the final judge, and that he cares for you. And so today we're going to learn to fear him, not people. First, fear not. God sees all. Jesus said, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. For what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. So anytime we're reading scripture, we want to try and understand what the context is. say this almost every week, it seems like now. And and the context is being pointed at uh, in this passage where Jesus says, So, and then the word them. The word them is pointing us back to verse 25 where Jesus is talking about those who persecuted him. His own persecutors. And what I want to draw our attention to in that is that Jesus doesn't call us to a place where he hasn't already gone before us. Jesus was already persecuted. Jesus already didn't fear people. He, he already continued to spread the gospel through his words and through his works. And so Jesus here, he's speaking from firsthand experience. Now, nonetheless, you can imagine the disciples have been hearing him pronounce all this doom and gloom for the last 10 or so verses. And their fears are probably mounting. And so here Jesus, he knows their hearts. And again, he's so gracious that he addresses that fear. You see, Jesus, he, he's not a God who, who stands you know, far off at a distance and he, and he points his finger at you and he tells you to stop and shut up and do what you're told. That's not the kind of God that we worship. He's a God who gets down in the trenches. He's a God who goes out before us. He's a God who also knows our hearts, who ministers to our hearts along the way. He knows our hearts are full of fear. And what does he say here frees us from fear? He says, knowing that God sees all. He knows the good. He knows the bad. He knows what's covered up. He knows what's been revealed. He knows what's in the dark. He sees what's in the light. He sees what's whispered. He sees what's shouted from the rooftops. God sees all. God knows all, and the Bible tells us that God searches human hearts 
And because this is true, we can have confidence rather than cowardice in the face of persecution. The Apostle Paul speaks to this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, that's the message about Jesus, we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And he's echoing what Jesus says here. He's basically saying, to sum it up, God sees all, so speak boldly. Speak to please him, not to please people. And in the end, all the evil that might be done to you, all the evil of all the people who may ever oppose you will be fully exposed by God and brought into the light. And likewise, all of the faithful things that you say and and do will be brought into the light. And so you might as well just put it out all into the open because being secretive isn't going to help anybody. God sees all. So faithfully proclaim the truth about him. The second thing that Jesus teaches us about why we're not to fear is that God is the final judge. In verse 28, he said, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is a pretty heavy verse to pop in the middle of all of this teaching, right? And I'm not going to go into great depth around uh, the topic of hell and, and how it's spoken of in the Bible, uh, other than what I'm, I'll, I'll get into it a little bit in a moment, but what I want to point you to, if you weren't with us, last fall we did a series called Confronting Christianity, and the final week of that series, week 11, we focused specifically on hell. So if you'd like to go back and do a deep dive, we have that whole series on our website, and you can even look at some extra resources that we offered Uh, in light of that. But what I am going to kind of explain is something that I think can be really confusing to Christians today, and that is what life after death looks like. We we, we kind of can cherry-pick little pieces of the Bible, and sometimes we get a kind of convoluted picture of what the Bible's saying as a whole, because it's not written systematically, but I'm going to try and hopefully pull all of that together in in a little bit more of a system so that we can understand it. The first thing that I'll say is that humans are body and soul, that we are united body and soul. And, And at death, the Bible teaches us that our body and our soul are actually separated, that the body of the dead, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, oh, we can go to this infographic, I forgot to mention it. Thank you, Ryan. Um, Nick created this wonderful infographic for us because our brains don't work very well, and and at least for me, this helps me very much. Um, So so you can see there's people, then there's a grave, right? And the body and soul are separated at death. And for believers, our bodies remain on earth just like unbelievers, but our souls, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, our souls go to be at home with the Lord, right? And for unbelievers, it says in Scripture that their, uh, that their souls are put in Hades. Hades is sort of a, a holding place for the unbelieving dead. And both unbelievers and believers are held in this intermediate state, the Bible teaches us, until Jesus Returns and, it, and at that point happens the resurrection 
of the dead. And sometimes this isn't taught that well, but both unbelievers and believers get resurrection bodies. And we go to judgment. We go to being judged by Jesus. You can see Christ's return there and his judgment. And the outcome of that judgment is going to lead to our final destination. For believers, our body and soul are, again, reunited prior to uh, judgment. And we get to enjoy life in this new resurrected body with Christ in heaven on earth for all of eternity. We get to spend eternity with the Lord. Wonderful, wonderful. For unbelievers, their body and soul are reunited and they are cast into hell for eternity away from the Lord. We want to deter you from that destination. We urge you to believe in Jesus. And Jesus here has a different objective than that, although certainly I think he would want to deter anyone. His objective here is to remind us of the reality of the future, to remind us of the realities of eternity so we would know that when you have something to live for, you also have something to die for. He's trying to help us to see that death is no longer something for Christians to fear. Because there's nothing that we could ever encounter here on earth that could have an, a possibly bad enough outcome to outweigh what we will experience in eternity. Amen? And so because we fear God, we do not need to fear death. In his book, Evangelism is Exiles, I mentioned this to you guys last week, such a great book, I'm going to use it again. Uh, This guy named Elliot Clark tells a story about a time when his family were missionaries in a Middle Eastern, I think, or sorry, Central Asian Muslim country. He never gives away where that place is, I'm assuming for the sake of uh, protecting the ministry there. And his family lives in this town where they're some of the only white people, the only foreigners. It's very clear to anyone who they would see, or it, it would be assumed anyway, to anyone that they would see that this family, are they're Christians. And this is also in an area where there's a lot of persecution. And one day, his wife was doing the dishes, and she's kind of standing there doing the dishes, looking out the window, and she gasps. And he rushes over to see what's going on, and he, he realizes she's looking out the window way far away, off in the distance, their 11-year-old son, like on another hill away from their house, is standing there, maybe 100-plus yards away. And both of them, as they, as they look, just freeze in fear. They're, they're, they're so stunned that they can't move and they realize that their son is being threatened by a notorious local gang of older boys known as the Rough Uncles. And their, their leader of that gang is holding this huge rock over Elliot's son's head and the, the group is actually poised to stone him. If you can possibly fathom what that would be like, 11-year-old son. 
Now, by the time that Elliot and his wife realized what was happening and they kind of got unfrozen uh, and, and thought, oh, we should run over there and try and rescue him, the rough uncles had set their rocks down and their son was actually rushing back home. And when he got there, he explained that as they had held this rock over his head, they asked him if he believed that Jesus was God's son and that he had died on the cross for his sins. And of course, their son says, yes. And the gang was just infuriated. They, they began threatening him with stoning. And of course, Elliot and his wife are hearing this story and they're just appalled. They're like, what are we gonna do? This is our son, right? His wife turns to their son and she says, okay, so what did you do? What, how did you respond to that? And their, their 11-year-old son says, I told them I wasn't afraid of them. I told them they could kill me, but that didn't matter because I would just end up in heaven. Just let that sink in for a minute, okay? This is an 11-year-old boy. Now let's contrast that with an adult in America getting asked the same question, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins, perhaps by a coworker at a water cooler, right, or a, or a neighbor or something? How do you think they would answer that question? The average Christian, how, how might you answer that question? Would you admit to it? Would, would you tell the other person that you believe in Jesus, or would you maybe try and qualify it like, mm, I don't know, maybe not the Jesus that you think of. I, I don't know how, how you might want to qualify it. See, when you contrast these two things, it makes you really have to consider, when it comes to our fears, what's really at stake? I mean, this boy's life was at stake. What's at stake for us? I mean, ridicule? Cheap shots in work meetings later on, right? Being ostracized by somebody? Is Jesus worth it? Or maybe I'll say it differently. Isn't Jesus worth it? The point Jesus is trying to make here is that we should fear God more than we fear death. But most of us will never face death for our faith. The reason why this frees us, though, is because we recognize our, our current body is only temporary and our soul is eternal. We will rise just like Jesus rose. We will get a perfect new eternal body. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be a distant memory. And so we don't need to be afraid of people killing us because he says God will destroy them. And so we can fear God more than death, and we can fear God even more than social death. Can't we? Can we? Amen? Yes, okay. And so after all this really weighty kind of heavy stuff about death and about hell and all this, Jesus kind of brings balance. He's, he's about to tell us not only is God this this just judge who is to be feared above all, but he's also our loving father who deeply, deeply cares for us. So fear not, God cares for you. Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? 
And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. At the time of Jesus, they didn't have pennies. You guys might know that. In fact, you might have a little footnote like my Bible does saying, explaining that whole thing. Uh, But they did have a denarius, which was like a day's wage for a laborer. And they had uh, some divisions, how do you say that? I don't know, some smaller divisions of that money as well. And the smallest one was worth about one-sixteenth of a day's wage. A sparrow was worth one-thirty-second of a day's wage. Can you guys do math with me? I don't have it on a screen or anything, but just think about that for a second. So, So if someone wanted to go and buy a sparrow, I don't know what they would buy one for. Maybe this is like an... They would eat this bird? I don't know. If someone wanted to go buy a sparrow, they actually, the person selling it had to throw in another sparrow because it's like, oh, well, this is only worth one thirty-second. You just gave me one sixteenth. Makes sense, kind of? Okay. Sorry, not to get too confusing. But that second sparrow that they, that they gave was kind of like a throwaway, right? It's like, yeah, okay, sure, I'll, I'll give you another sparrow. It's kind of like how we treat pennies in our culture today. I mean, people get rid of pennies all the time, right? If they even have cash at all. The problem is, some people think that this is how our Heavenly Father feels toward us. Like, he can save anyone and and, and he thinks of you and it's like, yeah, sure, throw them in there too. But Jesus says that's the exact opposite of reality. Jesus says that God cares about you so much that, that he knows the intimate details of your life. He even knows how many hairs are on your head. No one knows how many hairs are on their head, do they? Not even me, right? But God does. God does. And he doesn't just know everything about you, including your, your faults, your failures, your sins, everything that's ugly about you. Everything that you wish were different. He doesn't just know everything about you. He actually cares for you. He values you more than you can even imagine. Eternal God, think about this. Eternal God worth infinite value sends his son of infinite value in love to come and die for you, to show you how much he cares for you, to show you how much he values you. Maybe it would help to illustrate this, though, with a, a, a different kind of a relationship, a relationship with a person. What if someone said that they knew everything about you, perhaps down to how many cells are in your body? What would you think? I mean, once you confirm that this person wasn't a weird stalker, of course, what would you think if they knew every last detail? Well, you'd probably feel cherished, right? You'd probably feel cared for. And you see, at the root of all fear is this belief, this feeling that I'm not going to be okay. This belief, I'm not going to be safe. I'm not going to be cared for, and that's exactly what Jesus is addressing. 
He's saying you are going to be okay. You are going to be safe. You are cared for. And you might think, well, yeah, but he just said that God can destroy evildoers in hell. How am I going to be okay? Because that's the same God who sent his son to die for you. That's the same God who wanted so badly to save you that he came for you. That's the same God who cares for everything that he has created, even these sparrows, right? And he cherishes you. You're in his hands. Nothing in the world is outside of his control, and yet he cares for you. So fear not. And as Jesus concludes this portion of what he's saying about fear, he kind of summarizes it. This this word so shows up at the beginning of verse 32. It's an indicator. He's, He's kind of summarizing what he has just said. And if I could summarize it, I would say he's telling us fear God, not people. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Why would we deny Jesus before people? Because we're afraid. No other reason. Just straight up fear, just cowardice, just a strange form of self-preservation. Strange because it doesn't actually work. Because what Jesus has just told us is that we won't preserve ourselves if we deny him. If we deny him before people, he will deny us before his father, he says. He's saying, he's trying to to force our hand and get us to pick one or the other. Will we pick God or people? Who are we going to fear? Now, the fear of God, it's different from all other fears. The Bible says God is holy and his presence is like a consuming fire. Just let that picture set in. And we should fear the God that we worship, it tells us. It it says that his very presence could destroy us. But the Bible also talks about fear in, in a different way from just strictly being scared of God. We shouldn't just be scared of God. Sure, if, if all he were were holy and, you know, all he were were a consuming fire, if all he were were someone who sends people to hell, we should definitely be scared of him. But remember, we, we also get this picture that God is a loving father. And we're transformed then from strictly being scared of God when we realize that he's, he cares for us so deeply. And so with, with God, fear actually becomes something new. It becomes something different. Fear becomes standing in awe of his majesty. Fear becomes having reverence for his holiness. Fear becomes trusting in his goodness and in his love. And that fear actually transforms us. Having that kind of fear, it actually frees us from fearing people, which is really, really good news, friends, because the Bible actually tells us that fearing people, Proverbs, uh, what is this, Proverbs, if you want to go to that next slide there, oh yeah, you do, I think so, don't you, sorry, 
Negative. Okay, I don't remember which chapter of Proverbs this is, but you'll have to take my word for it. Uh, it's verse 25, um, and, and it says, Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting in the Lord means safety. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Why is fearing people a dangerous trap? Because it'll make you do all sorts of crazy things. Okay, it's chapter 29. Thanks, Helen. <laughs> Proverbs 29, verse 25. Uh, why is fearing people a dangerous trap? Because it'll make you do all sorts of crazy things. I don't know about you. Uh, I've told you guys before that fear of man has been a struggle for me over the years. God has done tons of redemptive work in my life in that area. But it has made me do all sorts of crazy, stupid things. What kinds of ridiculous nonsense have you done because you were afraid of what someone would think of you, or because you were afraid of what someone would say to you, or you're afraid of what someone would do to you. Just to illustrate the absurdity of fearing people instead of God, let's actually flip the proverb. I think we do have a slide for this one, right? Yes, okay. Let's flip this proverb. Let's put God's name at the beginning and the person's name in the blank. This is just to show us how crazy this is, okay? Fearing God is a dangerous trap, but trusting in blank means safety. Who, whose name would you put in that blank? Who is someone in your life who you fear more than God, at least in the sense of perhaps uh, not being willing to share the fact that you're a Christian with them, or not being willing to talk about the fact that you love Jesus with them, or, or to just throw some sort of... Other names, fearing God is a dangerous trap, but trusting in Bob means safety. Does that sound silly to you? Okay. Think of these things next time that you're fearing someone. I, I want to encourage you to think of these things, okay? Fearing God is a dangerous trap, but trusting in Diane means safety. Sound crazy? Fearing God is a dangerous trap, but trusting in Joe means safety. You guys get the point. The point is only one person is meant to occupy the place of fear in your heart, and his name is Jesus. He's the right one to fear. He's the one who sees everything. He's the one who will be the final judge. He's the one who cares for you. So fear him, not people. A couple instructions for community groups. If you're in one this week as you gather together, who or what is your greatest fear as it relates to sharing your faith? What would it look like if you feared God instead? And then for the March discipline, we're actually going to recap another discipline from when we went through Disciple Equip a couple years ago. We're going to look at sharing your faith. I'll send out all the details to those of you who are in community groups later this week. I'm going to pray, and let's respond to God together. Let's worship him. Father, we confess the absurdity of fearing people more than you. And yet, in our own fickle hearts, we can convince ourselves that we are not safe and we need to protect ourselves and we need to protect this truth about what we believe about you or something else. And so, God, we 
ask you to come and transform our hearts to see you as worth fearing above all. Help remind us of these things that you've taught to us, Jesus, here captured by Matthew. And we pray that as a result of that, that we would be bold about talking about our faith in you, that we would not have inhibition or fear, but that we'd be totally free to share what we believe with others. And we pray that that would lead to other people coming to know you through us. We ask that we would represent you really well, Jesus, that you would be honored in our lives, and we ask it in your name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening. Oh,